All right. I'm sure you've been wondering where in H-E double hockey sticks is my episode of the OHL podcast this Tuesday. Well, it's coming out a little later for good reason. This is our trade deadline special, and there would be no point in talking about the trade deadline until it had actually passed and we knew where all the pieces had fallen into place. I'm Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. He over there is Dan Mahar on Twitter at Dan Mahar. And Dan, something that we have seen in the Ontario Hockey League this year that I honestly can't remember the last time we saw something like this is the number of teams that seem to think they're in this. We've got at least four on each side, which promises, I think, some pretty damn good hockey down the stretch here. It, it really should be, Mike. I mean, we're thinking about the traditional year where you have anywhere from two or three to five or six teams in the hunt. And we just saw from what happened on the trade deadline, there's at least eight or nine that think they're in it and put most of their chips in, in some cases. So that should leave half the league thinking they're title worthy, which makes for really good hockey art in theory anyway. Would it be fair to say too, that maybe not, I don't think anyway, the real super team in the league this year, again, considering what we've seen in the past, a lot of nice pieces added by most of these eight teams that we're going to be talking more about in this episode. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. And I think if, if there was a super team, you wouldn't have had this many buyers. And I think there's a few teams that were pushed into the corner felt like they had to buy this year because they know the next year or two are going to be lean there. So that, well, we, we've got it. We've got no choice. But uh, for the most part, those, and I love the aggressiveness from some of these GMs. That makes things exciting. But but yeah, I think they looked around and said, you know, there isn't that super team. There's a lot of good. We're going to have to maybe go through three hard rounds this year as opposed to one or two to get there. But But there isn't that beast that's just saying, yeah, we're not going to deal with that team this year. So let's sell. All right, if we're talking about aggressive GMs, I'll throw out three names that jump out to me. Adam Dennis up in North Bay, Dylan Sika down the 402 in Sarnia, and perhaps the most aggressive for my money is Bill Bowler in Windsor, considering the Spits are just coming off an OHL finals appearance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you could probably add a couple names to that list. Obviously, the the two gentlemen there near the border, uh, Sika and Bowler, have really in, in going for it. Um, Sika made some really high profile moves, and and certainly has given his coaching staff on paper everything they should need to work with. And then Bill Bowler, I think, kind of rewarding those those kids right for a great run last year and and a great first half of the season, saying, "Okay, you proved it to me. Now, time for me to do my part." So. So yeah, you got to love that aggressiveness. And of course, up in North Bay, Adam Dennis was was aggressive a little bit earlier than some of his counterparts, but felt like he made the tweaks he wanted to in his roster in December. And and yeah, we're as good as we're getting this year. Let's let the chips fall. I guess we could say that about all of the eight GMs that we're talking about. And in case you've been living under a rock, look, when you listen to the OHL podcast, we're just going on the assumption you know the league. But the eight teams we're talking about on the eastern side, Ottawa, Peterborough, Barry and North Bay that all at least appear to think they have a shot at something. And in the Western conference, we've got Kitchener, we've got London, we've got Sarnia and we've got Windsor. So along with Bowler, Dennis and Sika, you look at Mark Hunter in London, and that's a team that we've been talking about since the beginning of the year at the beginning of the year, most people thought they were going to struggle to score goals. They might not even be in the mix. And all of a sudden they're adding kind of like what you just said about Windsor, I would think a reward to the players that are performing to the level that they're at. Mike McKenzie made his moves, even though his team was in eighth place, clearly believing the window is open. So let's go. Mike Oak might be arguably the most aggressive, just in terms of the sheer number of moves and what he's done with that Pete's roster. James Boyd is crafty up there in the nation's capital. And boy, oh boy, do I like what he's done in Ottawa. And then you've got Marty Williamson in Barry, And I... I really wonder about that. Let's dive into that a little bit further because I don't think you keep a player like Brant Clark if you don't intend on making at least some level of noise in that Eastern Conference. They've got good goaltending, we know, and Anson Thornton. And they added, but not the big splashy fancy names, right? Tyler Savard, uh, Con Conrad, <laughs> uh, Braden Hache uh, added to that team. So nice pieces for sure. And uh, Ethan Quick, it is too, right? Is also added up there. But so nice pieces, but not the 
not the Owen Becks, not the Ethan Del Mastro's, not the Shane Wrights, obviously. But I, I have to wonder, Dan, if maybe Marty was kind of taking calls for Brant Clark, but couldn't get the price he was asking for. I'm just strictly curiosity on my part. Yeah, Barry's a really interesting case this year because I think of those eight teams you listed, Mike, I think Barry and Kitchener have to be the two most nervous about the way they've played so far, adding up to any kind of contention this year. And in Barry, they obviously didn't want to empty the cupboard to do a whole lot. I, th- I think Tyler Savard's a nice piece. He adds some grit. He competes. So it- it's a chip that may fit into the lineup, not the high profile you're talking about, but complement what they already have and i i think we've said for a while on this podcast i think barry feels that on paper they're better than they've been and they're really hedging on their players stepping up in the second half and when you add a brand clark that's a pretty significant piece you got a 30 minute defenseman in the lineup who who runs your power play so it's not really possible to add a bigger piece than that so It'll be really interesting to see what uh, what Barry does in the playoffs. They're they're hedging on their players and their coaching staff stepping up in the second half. But I I have to at least they didn't empty the cupboard, so I we'll have to give them that. Um, but but they didn't make any splashy moves. I guess they just felt Brant Clark was their guy, uh, their move. So. so on Kitchener, and we'll talk more about Kitchener before the end of this episode because. I love me some numbers and I was having a few bouncing around in my head that I put together for this episode of the OHL podcast. We'll get to that in a minute, but just when you talk about perhaps Barry and Kitchener being the most nervous of the eight teams that are in it right now, I do wonder, and, and Mike McKenzie has done, in my opinion, a a masterful job in the past at making moves away from the deadline frenzy. So getting really good value, perhaps the best example of all of the times he's done it is when he got Jacob Ingham in the off season out of Mississauga, the price he paid was ridiculously low compared to how well Ingham played. But I do wonder the addition of Costantini back in October for Mike McKenzie, but then before Christmas, the additions of Francesco R. Curry, uh, Leighton Moore, and then Danny Jilkin coming just after the Christmas break. And I, I almost wonder if that was like showing your hand and almost daring others to, to match it. And boy, oh boy, Windsor especially, I think. And, and even London went out and said, okay, I will play this game with you. And, and then went out and made some additions of their own. Yeah, and I think you're right about Mike McKenzie being being aggressive, which fans love, giving his coach all the assets he could possibly want. Uh the rarity, I think, is you're right. He paid more full ticket this year, really emptied that cupboard to get those players. And whether or not they fill all the holes that team has had, I mean, obviously they haven't had a full lineup all year due to a number of reasons. So we got to give them that that leeway, I suppose, to try and prove themselves in the second half. Having said that, there hasn't been any indication this is a contending team through play, effort, system, you name it. Um dare I say at the risk of the players being a little bit offended by this, but one of the softer teams in the league and softness does not generally end up to, to playoff success. So I wonder if you, those rival GMs in the West look at that and say, yeah, we can, we can beat that team. They're, they're not really scaring us, but uh, they have a little more potency in the lineup now. So we've got to plug a few holes, but, but I think you're absolutely right. When you look at Sarnia and, and Windsor, they're saying, yeah, we can run with this team. No problem. Spend a few assets here. The team that's right ahead of Kitchener in the standings currently is the Guelph Storm. And George Burnett is never shy about making moves. So he's, well, at least he's tried to upgrade. I guess the results will have to wait and see. But he's upgraded, tried to upgrade in goal, or at least made a deal in net for the hockey club. And also added some nice pieces on the back end. So obviously saying, look, we want to be difficult to play against or difficult to score on. And... That's, again, a team that I fully expect Kitchener to not just pass, but leave in the rearview mirror through the second half of the season. But the moves that Burnett made, in my opinion, suggest that, hey, there's still some fight left in this dog in Guelph. Yeah, and, and that's a team that has improved a little bit of late. They, they've played a little better hockey in the last month or so. And and I think the goaltending move maybe comes a little late for some Storm fans, but I think it's it's his way of saying to that team, we're going to give you something here where we're not losing the game in the first period uh, with all due respect to the the tenders they've had in there, but 
just give them a chance. But I, I wonder if in the back of George Burnett's mind, because he he clearly decided to sell with Sasha Pasuchov and Danny Zilkin out the door. I wonder if in the back of his mind, he's saying, you know, we're still playing okay hockey, adding Nemesnikov earlier. And just, maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe we can uh, mess with the plans of, of a rival like Kitchener down the road. We can maybe keep keep pace with them the rest of the way here and, uh, and cause some real upset in this conference. So, but I think really what you're looking at is he's, he's trying to establish um, a foundation to work this, to make some improvements in the second half of the season, clearly not going for it this year, but in the back of his mind, I'm sure there's, there's some ambition there. Uh, you definitely want to be a tough out and a tough opponent to play against down the stretch. And you're right. If you get to be a little bit of a spoiler against a division or conference rival, why not? Okay. Before we get into, I mean, the big pieces, obviously Shane, Wright. It was like the Shane Wright sweepstakes this year. And he was going pretty much everywhere. I think, except to maybe Niagara. And we'll touch on that as well, but let's talk about the teams first that, we think, and, and I'll start with what I think. I personally, Hamilton and Mississauga, boy, oh boy, do I like what they have done in terms of setting themselves up for what's to come. Hamilton, especially, and we, we've talked about them. Gosh, do I like the way they've been doing it there over the past four plus years. They win an OHL championship in 2018. They kind of go into the reset and the, and the cycle brings them right back to winning another OHL championship in 2022. They lose Steve Steos. He goes back to the National Hockey League. But Matt Turek, as interim GM, seems to be picking up or following the same playbook anyway. I, I like the addition of Testa. I like the addition of Lardis. And I like the picks that they've put back in the cupboard um, along with other uh, nice young hockey players. In Mississauga, James Richmond has done the same thing. And some might argue that Mississauga missed its last chance in the cycle to do this, to move assets when they still could to recoup players. Porter Martone is a guy I'm a big fan of in this league, among others that they went and got in uh, in Mississauga, but they've stripped it down, getting rid of some really big names. And, and I think they've positioned themselves really well for the next couple of years. And what can you say about Dave Drinkle and the Saginaw spirit? Uh, if you didn't think they were poised for 2024 and that Memorial Cup bid before this trade deadline, it's got all of the ingredients that one would want to host and perhaps win a championship next year. Yeah, like those three teams for sure, Mike, are step stand out as really acquitted themselves well at the deadline. And I'll start, I'll start with my favorite Mississauga. And they obviously had a few bigger chips to play than than Hamilton. But uh when you're moving Del Mastro and Del Belbalus and back, you're you're gonna get a return. But like you said, Porter Porter Martone, uh Jack Van Volsen, you've got some excellent young players coming in and just a litany of picks. So they've really positioned themselves well going forward. And and the one the one that surprised me a tiny bit was was the Owen back move because he's got eligibility next year as a 19-year-old. And James Richmond said in his comments about that trade that he doesn't expect him back next year. He he thinks that's a player that might make the NHL next year. Um, so that was the thinking behind that move, but just reloaded the cupboard in one fell swoop. And then Hamilton, like you said, what you you have there a little bit of the dynamic that you're seeing in Windsor where a championship run breeds success in players and a lot of people looked at Hamilton's roster this year and didn't think there was much left, but that championship run turned some kids into players. And now you're getting a King's ransom for some of those players that they, they moved out uh, Logan Morrison, Avery Hayes, Gavin White, you name it. Um, so they're, they're really reaping the benefits of a successful model and one that other teams should look at. And then of course, Saginaw fans, if you, this one, this one's a little more, touchy for some people because you look at their record and say what on earth are they doing selling this this is what are you selling telling the kids you're in third in the conference you're right up top you're you've been great all year and you're selling your big piece um but like you said they're eyeing next year with that memorial cup so there's a business reason there too and and boy did they get a lot of picks back in the cupboard for for mr minchikov but i think when you when you look at the timing window expect Saginaw to be an extremely aggressive buyer this time next year uh, to get some players that fit that window a little more. We might, we just might have that super team next year that we talked about is absent from the league this year. 
I think that's a fair statement because the the thing I'll be really interested to see though with Saginaw because all of that lines up. You're right, Mike. Building around Michael Mitza and some of the the young core they're they're going to have and adding another uh, 19 year old or two next year through trade. What I'm really interested to see is just how big a piece of their success was Pavel Minchukov because I think everyone knows it was a, a pretty big piece of it. So now that he's removed from that lineup, is that, you know, what's been a 700 team, is that now a 400 team? Like how big a piece was that? And that will be a really interesting storyline for me going down the stretch. It's going to be, it's going to be a tough sell for the next few months in, look, Mississauga's always had trouble drawing, but you've basically got uh, James Hardy and a bunch of strangers on the Steelheads team now. Kingston has never drawn particularly well. And obviously they did not keep Shane right, nor did anybody expect them to. And Hamilton, they've got all the uncertainty around where they're going to be playing next year and the arena issues. And as well run as it seems to be from a hockey operation standpoint, there are going to be a few lean months in those cities between now and the end of the season in late March. Yeah, and you, you hate that aspect of it, Mike, but it's always, it's just a function of the game, a factor of the game. And I think real junior hockey fans kind of understand that, that you're going to have, down slopes they're going to stick with you about but you hit on the key point in some of those markets is they've been lean for a while now and have just committed to being lean at least for the remainder of this year i think what they'll have to take solace in is the fact that they've brought in some younger pieces they're going to get to watch those kids i think most junior hockey fans are thrilled to watch good young players i know uh the kitchener market that we're familiar with looking back at the year Derek roy came into the league and and Kitchener was pretty atrocious, but fans were turning on droves because they knew that was something special that was going to develop in this league. And I think those markets, that's what they have to look for and some of their younger acquisitions and better times ahead. But you're right. It's, it's not going to be a lot of winning hockey in those markets. I think going, going forward for the next few months, you know, talking about better times ahead for Kingston, they hope those better times to be as soon as next year when they intend on also being at least competitive enough to host the Memorial Cup. The decision on who gets to host, Sioux, Kingston, Niagara, or Saginaw will be made in March. But if you think you're, if you're bidding, you think you're going to have the roster. So, you know, it's, it's hard to wrap one's head around Kingston and a championship run because, of course, historically, we know that has never happened in Frontenac's franchise history. Yeah, and they've always been a bit of a flawed team in my viewings over the last several years. They've had some great talent in there, some really great cores and nucleus uh, players, but uh, they haven't always put it together from an organization standpoint, in the, and that's been tough to see. But when you, you're right, it might be a quicker turnaround, if you believe it. I mean, they get Ethan Miedema, who is one of my prospects of the week not too long ago, a uh, player that I think will flourish with a little bit more ice time than his third line duties in Windsor. You see a guy there that's going to get top six in power play time, and you're going to start seeing a lot out of that kid, I think, as soon as this year, but for sure next year. And then Gavin McCarthy's a wild card. I, I Too early to say whether or not there's, a, there's any talk there of commitment to Kingston, but player kind of lighting up the ushl with an ncaa commitment and suddenly if that kid shows up from the shane wright trade that's a coup for kingston so plenty of reason to be optimistic there but, but i think you hit the nail on the head mike it's a show me thing they haven't they haven't shown a lot of people of late so are they gonna now okay so since we're on kingston let's move into shane wright as the first big fish we're talking about and arguably the biggest at this year's trade deadline, he was rumored to go everywhere. It started out that he was going to go to Peterborough to join his buddy Brennan Offman as soon as the Pete got Offman. Clearly, that didn't transpire. Then I heard some rumblings that he was going to be dropped off in the nation's capital and play for the highly competitive and surprising Ottawa 67s. To be honest with you, the team I really started believing, and again, in the mix, oh, Brand Clark, they're both coming back from the World Juniors. Put them together on the same team there in Barrie and watch them go. And then, oh my, then the rumbling started that the London Knights were going to get Shane Wright. And as soon as you hear that from the number of sources you're hearing it, you really start to think it's going to happen. And then, let me, let me say this before we move on to where he did ultimately end up and Bill Bowler working some magic there in Windsor, but it sounds like the asking price for Shane Wright from Kingston was Oliver Bonk. And I'll, I'll remind you of this because it was just past 14 years ago. It was January 8th of 2009 
when Mark Hunter traded Christian Thomas, Scott Valentine, Michael Zador, and six draft picks, four of them second rounders, for John Tavares out of Oshawa. It didn't work out in 09 for the London Knights, even after that acquisition of, of Tavares. And by didn't work out, I mean they got to the West Final. They lost in five games to Windsor, the eventual Memorial Cup champions. Every game went to overtime, but they didn't win the championship. And I've heard since that Hunter had said he'd never do something like that again. Once bitten, twice shy. So here's the chance to possibly acquire right. But as reported by Ryan Payette at the London Free Press, Mark Hunter made it clear. We're not going to trade Oliver Baum. That is a, a conversation ender. So maybe that was the asking price, and that's why Shane Wright is in Windsor. But I got to tell you, after the Spitz had already added Brett Harrison from the Windsor or from the Oshawa Generals, I thought, okay, nice piece. They're obviously adding. I did not expect Shane Wright to end up in the border city. Yeah, there's a, there's all kinds of nuance to these trades, Mike. When you look. So I think Windsor did really well in not giving up Anthony Cristoforo, who was rumored potentially to be in that deal. So hanging on to him was a great deal. A lot of conjecture was going around in the last couple of days. And you referenced that 2009 trade, Mike. I think we could all agree that John Tavares is a fair bit more dynamic junior player than Shane Wright at this point. Uh, but they also had the beast of 2009, those Windsor Spitfires to deal with. So there's there's all these dynamics GMs have to take into account. So I always get a little leery when I hear one say, I'll never do this or I'll never do that based on past experience because each situation is has its own merit. But when I heard all these rumors going around, I, I do believe Barry made some kind of a push for, I know Bo Akey was who Kingston was, was looking at there, probably really reluctant to move him. That didn't come to fruition. I'm, I'm not sure... Ottawa was ever terribly serious about it because I believe they identified the pieces they wanted and and didn't feel that Shane Wright was completely necessary in their in their push. And the, there were some credible sources reporting the London rumors, and we did hear Oliver Bonk. And the second I heard them, I knew that was complete bunk, if you will. Bonk, uh, bonk, bonk, bonk. Because there was, I, it's just not Dale Hunter's mo, Mark Hunter's mo whatsoever to trade a player like that of that caliber in a deal like that. So. I pretty much knew that it wasn't going to be Oliver Bonk. Uh, not to say that London wasn't making a serious offer and there was probably maybe Ben Bujold was in there and picks and I'm sure they did step to the plate to some account, but I knew there was never going to be an Oliver Bonk in that deal. And, and Windsor to their credit stepped up and made it happen with what they had. So you never know what's going on behind the scenes, but boy, oh boy, was there ever a lot of talk. So you have to believe there was some, some fire where that smoke was. Well, I think it's a, a huge coup for the Windsor Spitfires. And I, it makes me wonder, you know, London, I want to say for obvious reasons, is the team that 19 other fan bases love to hate. But this Windsor team, and we just referenced that juggernaut that they were in 09 when they won their first of three championships in nine seasons, back-to-back -back in 09-10. And then in 2017, when they hosted, they won again. Why don't other fan bases now hate on the Windsor Spitfires like they hate on? Because if you want to talk about success, it's happening in Windsor. I'm telling you right now. Yeah, it's a fair point. And, you know, I always tr have trouble hating on anyone for success. I mean, if you're, if you're good, you're good. If you do it well, you do it well. I, I think you can hate on teams that are dirty or, or you think they might be doing something untoward to have their success which is sometimes been, sometimes been levied at London. I mean, I'm not saying that that's the case, but that's that's a distinction there. Um, but yeah, Windsor's been a, a model uh, of success recently and and whatever their blueprint is, I I personally can't begrudge them. I think I think it's great if you have it's just pure competence, right? Competence to find the right people, the right development, uh, the right plan on the ice to get things going. They weren't supposed to be this good this year. So I personally would have trouble hating on a team, even if they're a rival, just for doing things well. I mean, envy is one thing, hate's another. So, yeah. It should also be pointed out that Windsor has been sanctioned for payments yeah. to players in the past. And London, despite all of the talk, never has. Anyway, I'll leave that over there. But the other interesting thing about the Spitfires for me is just since that 09 championship, it's like all or nothing for the Windsor Spitfires. It's like they get that taste of playoff success and then they just need more of it. Again, the back-to-back -back Memorial Cups in 2009-2010. In the 2011 playoffs, they go all the way to the Western Conference Final where they ultimately lose. And then there's nothing until 
last year when they go all the way back to the OH, OHL final. They never won another playoff round. They won that Memorial Cup in 2017 because they were the hosts. And in fairness, they came back, won every game at the tournament and won the championship. But they were bounced in the first round that year by the London Knights. But it's just so funny to me that we see a team with the Windsor Spitfires that goes three plus rounds into the OHL championship last year and then ends up in a situation where everybody thought they'd take a step back and here they are loading up to go after it again because I guess, you know, one playoff round just isn't enough for Bill Moeller and the Windsor Spitfires. Yeah, and, and, and your history lesson there is valid, Mike, because if you look, like London Knights have certainly had a more linear, consistent success than any team in this league. And where Windsor's been more up and down, they've just done a better job than some franchises of hitting on their cycles when, they're, when their age group comes around. So so I think that's a distinction between those two. But, uh, but the Windsor Spitfires, yeah, it hasn't been all sunshine and roses. They have had those down years. And I think as the league has changed away from physicality, over the last few years, no team's fan base has probably been impacted more than Windsor, who loved a rough and tumble team. And they had a nice, a good blue collar uh, following at, at times that really appreciated that toughness, and that grit. So as the league has changed, I think that hurt their fan base. So they're building it back through some some on ice success now with wins. And, and uh, so I'm all for it. All right, let's talk about the other really big fish that was traded. And, and it's funny, too. This was a pretty quiet trade deadline day because these deals, both Wright and Minchikov, were reported last night, although not officially uh, put forward by the league until today. But Pavel Minchikov to the Ottawa 67s, where he joins a first-place club that already, by the way, acquired Logan Morrison via the Hamilton Bulldogs. Nine, count them, nine picks, but not a single roster player for Minchikov. I think that is a huge win for James Boyd. A hundred percent. And and I I hated to get in this early to winners and losers because I, I think we need time to decide that. But if you put a gun to my head right now and said, whose deadline did you like the most? I, I have to go with the Ottawa 67s for a couple of reasons. One, I believe that Pavel Minchikov was the best player that moved. There were some big names. So that's a big statement, but I believe he was the most impactful player that moved. And I actually think Logan Morrison's an understated piece who was right near the top of that list. So they added the biggest piece on the market to their decor, uh, probably most game influencing asset in Pavel Minchikov. And then Logan Morrison is, is hell on wheels this year and was last year too for Hamilton. And they, they inject him into the lineup and first start of the game is first outing uh, to an already potent lineup. And the key piece of that, Mike, is what you said. They didn't give up, you know, Henry Muse or Maselli or any of the younger players. They, they did it all with draft picks. And if you look at the draft draft picks that move this deadline a lot of teams you know this team moving that team's pick and that team's pick and that team's pick a lot of what ottawa moved was ottawa's own picks because they're they're not in the habit of giving up a lot of their own picks they're uh, they're a little bit uh measured in the trades they've made over the years going back to the philosophy of brian kilroy who didn't like moving players so i think they've maintained that to some degree but they identified two key pieces that they wanted that fit their timing fit their lineup and they got them so look out for that team do you think there's a second part to this coming? Uh, you know, I know the league frowns on it. The league technically outlawed those types of deals, but I, I just find it hard to believe you get Pavel Minchikov without giving up one of those 05s or 06s you've got in your lineup that are dynamic. Because, boy, boy, this guy is, he can change a game by himself, and you added him to a team that's already pretty loaded. So it, we'll see in the summer, but it, it looked to me like a deal that there might be more to come. Yeah, and maybe even we look a year from now because that rule is technically, you know, and we know it gets circumvented, but within a year. So maybe next year at the trade deadline, we see Ottawa and Saginaw making the deal again. I don't know. It's just, you're right. To not give up one of those dynamic young roster players is a huge coup. And I, I'm with you completely on that assessment of the Ottawa 67s. I absolutely love the pieces that they added. I'm wondering how Pavel Minchikov, and I, I hear where you're coming from, maybe the best player that moved. How's he, a guy like Pavel Minchikov, who I just got to view up close and personal last weekend, by the way, and he often looks like a forward more than a defenseman. How's he going to like playing for Dave Cameron? Or how's Dave Cameron going to like coaching Pavel Minchikov? Tell me that. 
at first I thought you were going to say, how is he a defenseman? Because he's up <laughs> well, in the also, yeah. almost the time. So yeah, he's pretty much, pretty much that Rover. Right. But uh, I, I would give a little bit of advice to Dave Cameron here. Not that he needs my advice with, <laughs> with his track record and where he's got his team this year, but you don't acquire a player like Pavel Minchikov and put the reins on him. So I, I think you make that trade with some calculation and some pre-discussion and planning. And I think it's a, it's a guy you put in your lineup and you let him do his thing. And you know, he's a, he dominates when he's out there. Great. When he's on the ice, we dominate the rest of you maintain your structure, maintain your system, but you let the horses run, so to speak, Mike. And I think Dave Cameron would be wise to, to do that with him. Yeah, Menchikov is a thoroughbred. Let him gallop and uh, and see where it gets you. Okay, let's talk about two teams, Dan, that leap off the page to me, quite frankly. We we talked about Adam Dennis and North Bay, and I, I like the moves that he made and when he made them, and I think he's he's had a strong team, really, from the get-go. Ottawa is certainly standing up to show some opposition to this, but the Peterborough Peets and the Sarnias thing, I'm going to lump them together here because... I really like the pieces that they added. In Sarnia, for example, uh, Christian Cairo is as dynamic as they come. And then you go out and add guys like Del Mastro and Del Del Belouz from Mississauga. Again, on paper, and you've got the ingredients. You already had Ty Voigt, who's the leading scorer in the Ontario Hockey League this year. You've got a guy like Benjamin Godreau in goal. There's a lot to like about that. And then, of course, Peterborough. They've been in it to win it since the beginning, really, when they went out and got Brennan Offman, you knew that Mike Oak and company up in Peterborough were serious. And then they go and add the other pieces to that team in Beck. And don't forget Hayes and White, which you acknowledged earlier, were great depth pieces from the champion Hamilton Bulldogs from a year ago. My only caveat with both of these teams, and I mean don't no disrespect, but we kind of alluded to it when we talked about Kingston. You know, you got you to gotta show me the money. And in this case, the money is the championship. And, and sadly, it just, it, it, Sarnia has never been beyond the second round, never won a second round playoff series. And God love the Peterborough Peets and their nine Memorial Cup appearances, but only one of the victories. And the last championship of any kind was an OHL championship in 2006. So there's just that reluctance that comes. I like the moves that Dylan Sika and Sarnia made and Mike Oak and Peterborough made. You've, you've given your fan bases reasons to be excited. But as an observer of this league for as long as I have been, I'm just like, at some point, you got to show me something. And and this is obviously the time for the Peets and or the Sting to do that. Yeah, I think that's totally a fair assessment. I think all their fans would be giving me a thumbs up on that. Yeah, show me. I won't believe it. Now, those two teams uh, are a little bit reversed images to me in some ways. Like, I think with Sarnia, my concern was always going to be, are they going to be able to keep the puck out of their net in the playoffs? And Pete Rose, are they going to put enough pucks in the net in the playoffs? And if I had to flip a coin, I'd probably take the team that maybe has the scoring woes, but really solid defensively and physical. So maybe Peterborough's a little better equipped there. But then Sarnia adds Ethan Del Mastro. That's a huge piece on the back end to try and keep some pucks out of their net, move some bodies. I, I'm still a little concerned. Uh, Sarnia's no stranger to the 6-5 scores. And and they obviously, a lot of it hinges on Benjamin Godreau. Is he, is he going to come back and uh, to form? If he does, look out. If he doesn't, I'm still not buying uh, Sarnia until till they show they can keep that puck out of the net because you're going to have to do that to win in that conf- in, in this league. Peterborough, uh, I, I, like, I, I felt like they're a team built for the playoffs. And that was before some of the moves they made. I think they had a, a, a solid, tough back end that was well-rounded. They've got great goaltending with Michael Simpson. I adding an Owen back the depth in that forward group was going to be a concern. Their top line doing a lot of their scoring. Owen Beck's a pretty significant piece to add to that group, a 200 foot player that wins faceoffs. In other words, a playoff player. So I really like what Peter bro did. And I, and I had to gamble on one of those two teams. I, I, I'd be gambling on the purple um, or maroon, I guess what, uh, but Sarnia sure looks potent on papers. Just, is Ethan Del Mastro enough to keep that puck out of their net? All my reservations aside, you know, recency bias, because there hasn't been success in either of those cities anytime recently. I would love, I would love to see a Peterborough Sarnia final just yeah. because. However, I think when I look at the lay of the land that Ottawa and London are going to have something to say about that. So if you want to read between the lines of that, 
I like Ottawa in the East. I like London in the West, and it brings me back shades of 2020, quite frankly, that season that got cut short when COVID first came into our lives. The Ottawa 67s were an absolute buzzsaw that year. And as good as the Kitchener Rangers were, and I thought, boy, oh, boy, Jacob Ingham and company, it's going to be a fun playoff run. London was leading the West at the time, and I think that there might have been a collision course. So maybe three years after we were denied that, we're going to see it again. But when you when you take a team like London that's already playing as well as they are, clearly whatever lack of goal scoring we thought might exist has not been a problem for the team. They just lost this past weekend to the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, only their third loss in 24 games. They add championship experience in Ryan Winterton and Ryan Humphrey. They've got championship caliber goaltending in Brett Brochu. They've got Oliver Bonk. London, Ottawa, I would declare them winners at this deadline as it passes and the teams to beat if you want to make noise in your conference. Yeah, and I, I hate to do all this agreeing with you, but uh, those the, the teams I have earmarked too are, are London. I mean, it's hard to bet against Dale Hunter and what he does with that crew. And I love that back end. Brett Brochu's himself again in net. So it, they're going to be really hard to score against. And that, that first and foremost is what gets you through the playoffs. Is Ryan Winterton enough up front and Humphrey? Like, they're, they're going to struggle at times to score. I think that that's clear. So there is a weakness in that lineup as well. But I think all things considered, to me, that's the toughest out in the West right now. I, I think Windsor is probably second for me with the big pieces they added. Uh, and this is no disrespect to Sarnia. I think Sarnia is going to be the most fun team to watch. You got, you know, Ty Void up front and Pastajov, and now they added Del Bell Blues. They got, they're just a fun team. They've got oodles of talent. So they're going to give anyone trouble, but that's my pecking order in, in the West. And then in the East, uh, I have Ottawa and I actually do have Peterborough just a shade behind them, just based on their additions and their, the way they're structured and built, uh, I think succeeds in the playoffs. And this again, also no disrespect to, to North Bay, who's been pretty good all year and has a pretty potent lineup and they made their additions earlier. So I'm not suggesting they're out of the mix by any, but I just, for the reasons you said, Mike, I, I love Ottawa and I love London. Uh, based on what they've done and what they've shown. It, it's going to be fun because there are definitely contenders on either side. Obviously, Peterborough is going to give you some fits. I'm not ever writing off North Bay. I'm a huge Ty Nelson guy and and the way they've put that team together. I think Adam Dennis has done a great job up there. You're right. Sarnia is going to be fun. The Spits are going to be a really tough out. Shane Wright's got something to prove. There's no question about that. And then Kitchener and Barry are going to be in the mix, whether you believe in them right now or not. These teams are too talented to just be cast aside easily in any game or any playoff round. Real quick, I know this is the OHL podcast, and it's as excited as you should be about your team in the Ontario Hockey League. Let's not forget that the Memorial Cup is being hosted by the Kamloops Blazers this year. And you're going to have to get through the teams in the West and the teams in the queue when you get to the Memorial Cup. And let me just say that I'm glad there's a rule in the Ontario Hockey League that you can't trade first rounders because some of those GMs out West need to be saved from themselves. And if you want to talk about super teams, I think the Blazers are trying to become one. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Mike. That like the return on the Olin Zellweger trade, just insanity. Um, but just multiple first round picks in both the Q and the WHL changing hands every year. And it seems to me that if you're going to compete for the same trophy as the other leagues, you should all have the same rules. And I think it would make sense for those two leagues to stop with the trading of the first round picks at very least. And you you use the phrase save them from themselves, which is the intent of that. They don't want the fan base to go through incredibly hard times for two or three years after because they emptied the cupboard but i i even fear the more uh, nefarious reasons there and that would be like the politician angle right where a politician knows they're not running again or they 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 empty the cupboard and and pay all their uh their debts and and send a bunch of money out the door and then they're gone they don't have to deal with the aftermath and I, I worry about that with this these are developmental leagues and you have gms who are looking at the next step some cases may even already have the next step lined up they're not going to be there necessarily to deal with the fallout from their moves so yeah i'm going to empty the cupboard try and get myself a championship then i'm going to be gone someone else's problem so i i think for that reason it's it it rules like that make sense all right i i promise to come back to the 
uh, Kitchener Rangers side of things. Obviously, I am in Kitchener. I broadcast the team's games. I hear from the fans all the time. And believe you me when I say, I hear you. I, I understand the questions were asked when the first round of additions was made, are Curry and Moore, why would you add to an eighth place team? And then even after the acquisition of Danny Jokin, it's now a ninth place team as the Kitchener Rangers, as we speak, have lost six straight games. Here, Here's just something, an objective analysis, as, as best I can do here. So call me on it if you want to. Remember our email address is ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Shoot us a note anytime. But objectively speaking, it's it's pretty easy to say and admit that this Kitchener Rangers team is underperforming, probably has been since the beginning of the season. But the challenge that it has now created for itself, I'll tell you that I still believe, like, I know it's in ninth place right now. The fans that email me or call me and say, well, they're not going to make the playoffs. And what like that's just nonsense. Only two teams miss, just for the record. And this is still a conference with... Uh, with Erie and Sault Ste. Marie in it. No offense to either of those teams. But anyway, the, the problem that the Kitchener has created for itself with its underperforming first half, they've played exactly half the game, uh, they've played 34, is that their prospects of having home ice beyond, the even in the first round at this point, are, are getting pretty slim. So Kitchener, with 34 games to play, I ran the numbers because I love me some numbers. And if we were to give the Kitchener Rangers now the same winning percentage as the London Knights, which is 736, and say, okay, let's say that the Rangers get it together starting right now and play 736 hockey for the rest of the season, they would go 25 and nine in their final 34 games, which would give them another 50 points on top of the 32 they have, 82 points. The Saginaw Spirit is a team that, for example, after trading Pavel Minchikov, we expect to fall off to some degree. But will the Saginaw Spirit, which are playing better than 600 hockey right now, fall back as little as low as 500 hockey? Because all Saginaw has to do is go 16 and 15 over their final 31 games, and they would still finish with more points than the Kitchener Rangers. The Windsor Spitfires would have to go a mere, and they've added, by the way, but they would have to go a mere 17 and 15, so barely 500, to stay ahead of the Kitchener Rangers. The London Knights are already ahead, and one would expect them to stay ahead of the Kitchener Rangers. Sarnia might be the wild card in here. They've got to go about 660 at a 660 clip to stay ahead of the Rangers, but that's all if the Rangers play 736 hockey the rest of the way. So you've got London... Windsor, Sarnia, Saginaw, and Kitchener might finish fifth, or if they can play 736 hockey, 25 and nine the rest of the way, and hope that both Saginaw and Windsor perhaps only play about 500 hockey. It's, it's a tall order because of the hole the team has dug for itself. And that's just an objective analysis looking at the numbers. But that's what the team faces in the second half. Yeah, great, great numbers, Mike, and not to pile on, uh, but I, I, I think the biggest concern, aside from those numbers, which are pretty staggering, no, they could play lights out hockey the rest of the way and still have a pretty tough first round opponent. I think most Kitchen Ranger fans would probably say it's that they haven't seen any indication in three months that they're capable of playing anywhere near that clip. And I know they're getting a bunch of players back. Uh, uh, Mitchell Martin will will help a lot in terms of what they're missing, but that is not a team that has dominated anyone yet at any point throughout this season. And you're looking for that type of ability to give you some sense that they might be able to maintain that 736 clip you just talked about or anything that gets them in home ice advantage. So I, I think this, the biggest concern for Kitchener is they haven't demonstrated that and they've been pretty easy to play against. They're going to have to find a different gear by that. I mean, in terms of speed and physicality, uh, they don't play with the pace needed to, to run with those teams. So on numbers aside, un, until fans see an indication that they can play a faster game and a more physical game that I'm not sure those numbers are going to bear out very well for them. Well, just remember this, the playoffs, everybody is zero and zero when you're starting again. And if you're hot going into the postseason. 
you never know. The Kitchener Rangers were a bit of a Cinderella story last year as a seven seed knocking off a two seed. That rarely happens in the Ontario Hockey League. Let's be clear about that. The upsets of that magnitude are few and far between. But if you're playing good hockey and this entire roster can be on the ice and playing the way this coaching staff wants them to play, they're probably going to be a tougher out than their position in the standings indicates. But it is a, a steep hill for the Kitchener Rangers to climb. There's no question about it. And, you know, we talked about this on the other side with the with the Barry Colts. You know, they didn't add a ton, but they also didn't trade Brant Clark. So they're still in it to do something over there in the East. At least that's my impression of the team as we look at it post-deadline. Yeah, very, very, very good points. And, and you know, throughout this whole panel, we didn't even touch on a couple of teams that were pretty quiet. And I'll, you know, I have to give my stuff a mild pat on the back. So one teams I predicted I didn't think would do much was Owen Sound. And they didn't. A couple minor tweaks, but they didn't. And you're looking, there's a team. You look at what they've got on paper and sure, they're, they've determined this isn't really their, their year. They're going to push for next year. But... Is that a team you really want to face? And and if you just adds more heat to the mix in the in the West, Mike, and you see a lot of uh, like you said, a hot goalie. Um, anything can change the dynamic. And and when I'm one of these GMs that's just emptied the cupboard, cupboard, and I see what I potentially face down the road, there's going to be some awfully disappointed uh, folks come April. Can we give uh, just a quick nod since you mentioned Owen Sound? Because you're right, no major move at all, but a, a nod to Dale DeGray and Kyle Raftis for the uh, straight up trade that included a pair of 15 rounders because you can't do a deal in the Ontario Hockey League if draft picks aren't involved. Very cheeky fellas, and, and I kind of like it. it. It was good. I I, I was going to make a joke about if Hookie's going to play Hookie and not show up after that uh, trade. But uh, but yeah, it's great to see the one for ones and and you know, potentially some GMs accommodating kids that just want a different place to play. So final note before we uh, close this one off and look, I, there was a time in my broadcasting life that I would have been like all, I would have been breathing fire over something like this. I try to take a, a more measured approach, a, a mellower approach as I age, but it's flat out embarrassing what's happening in St. Catharines. OK, the, the, the fan base that just got over the, frankly, disastrous end to the Burke era now brings in fresh ownership and, and hopes, I'm sure, of, uh, you know, a new era of ice dogs hockey. And by the time the dust settles today, it's 27, 27 roster moves that Darren DeBobbler has made, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing the name, I don't mean to do that. I should have checked, I should really get that straightened out. But 27 roster moves, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. And, and one of the moves today in trading Nolan Dan to Flint is the third time this season that he has traded a player that he just acquired this season. Along with Nolan Dan, first was Matt Pappas, gets him from Guelph, trades him to Owen Sound. And then the second was Pasquale Zito. Gets him from Windsor, trades him to North Bay. And now Nolan Dan, acquired from Sarnia, now moved to Flint. 27 moves. It, I, I don't know. I don't understand how the league, quite frankly, allows this. I don't know how many cards you need to have or how you've made that magic work. But And I should also add just in this, Cam Govro got traded for the second time this season as well. Saginaw acquires him from North Bay and then flips him to Peterborough at the deadline today. But not to take away from honestly it's embarrassing please please to the ownership group in niagara which apparently includes wayne gretzky i know if wayne gretzky can be traded anybody can i get it wayne somebody give somebody some like just a, a light slap i don't want violence but you gotta wake up over there because that is not a good look for the league yeah you know like if you saw if you saw a guy wandering the neighborhood going to garage sales buying things, then going back home and putting them on a table in his driveway to sell, you'd, you'd call for a mental wellness check. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on there, but I will say at least in the Nolan Dan trade, he uh, got similar or better assets back, which wasn't the case in the Matthew Pappas trade. It just, it's all bizarre. You have 27 moves, it's stability issues, 
recruiting issues I'm sure are going to come up. You got to wonder what on earth is, is going on there, but that's generally not the model that, that works and not one you want to see for the kid's sake. I didn't do, I didn't have the heart to do the numbers myself, but I'll take Tony Saxon over at Guelph today. Uh, dot com at his word he covers of course the Guelph Storm and has for a long time seven that's the number of roster players that the Ice Dogs still have on the roster that they had at the beginning of the season seven I'll just leave it at that it's uh like I, I spoke objectively I think when I ran numbers about the Kitchener Rangers there's an objective analysis for you in Niagara that that team has seven roster players remaining that were with them at the beginning of the season. And if you think that's okay, then you just think about it differently than I do. Just for me, that is very much not okay. All right. Uh, we agreed on an awful lot this episode, Dansky. And I should point out, I feel like I need to point out, we don't discuss ahead of time and we have, we know what we're going to talk about, but we didn't say, Oh, let's talk about and agree on this. Like we just came in with our own different or with our own ideas yeah, they were our own different ideas that turned out to be the same view of the league as the deadline has now passed. So there you go. Be careful though, Mike, because I just talked about mental wellness checks. And if people see how often you have the same viewpoint as me, you might have people showing up to do one on you. So <laughs> what is it that they say? Uh, fools seldom differ. <laughs> That's our new slogan. That's the news. The OHL podcast where fools seldom differ. All right. Uh, coming up on the podcast, I'm really excited for this one coming up on Friday with our feature interview. He's actual, actually a local boy. I used to listen to Don Cameron on, uh, on on the radio station I work for, City News 570, call Kitchener Rangers games. Actually, back then it might have been on another station, but who cares about that? He listened to Don Cameron call Kitchener Rangers games as he fell asleep in his bed in Cambridge, Ontario, uh, was drafted into the Ontario Hockey League by the Peterborough Peets. He also played for the London Knights. He played for the Sudbury Wolves. And he was drafted by none other than the Quebec Nordiques, where he was at camps and in dressing rooms with all kinds of players like Sackicks and Forsbergs and et cetera. Even a Guy Lafleur was there when this particular goaltender was there. His stories are terrific. I can't wait for you to hear it. That will be our episode of the OHL podcast on Friday with our feature interview. Remember, give us a like. Uh, please subscribe. Tell a friend about the podcast. Send us an email anytime. OHLpodcast at rogers.com. He's Dan Mahar on Twitter at Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. You can come back and call us out on our poor predictions later in the season. But this is how things look on the trade deadline special edition of the OHL podcast. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.